And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day despite the fact that there is yet another police officer who appears to be at least somehow implicated in the Tyree uh, uh, Nichols killing. He, um, this police officer, also with the Memphis Police Department, happens to be white. Is that deeply significant? There are a number of leading lights, including the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, former cop, former police lieutenant, who say that despite the fact that the five cops who actually did the beating were all black, that there is still the hint, and more than the hint, the reality of racism. And that's also a point that's made by Van Jones on CNN. We'll play you some of what Van Jones had to say and what Eric Adams had to say. The uh, sixth officer who has been suspended, he has not yet been charged uh, or arrested, but he's suspended from duty. Uh, he has been relieved from duty. Uh, that is the exact wording during the investigation of Tyree Nichols' death after a beating by police. His name is Officer Preston Hemphill. And uh, the police department said that uh, Hemphill was hired back in 2018. Part of what has been happening here in Memphis is apparently there's been a shortage of police officers. I think that's going to get much worse for the city of Memphis. And it is, according to most statistics, the, the city in the country with the highest number uh, percentage of of murders of homicides uh, there were 300 homicides in uh, in Memphis last year in a city of under 700,000 and in New York a city of 8 million uh, there were about 500 so the rate of murder is about seven times as much in Memphis as in New York City uh, what does it all mean and where do we go from here? And for those who have not watched the actual videotape, and the videotape is long, and it's horribly disturbing, and it's nightmarish, and there is no possible way to justify what these police officers did. Um, but we will get to some of the, the deeper consequences. The unit within the Memphis police in which they were very proud members, all five of them, was called the Scorpions. And Scorpion here stands for Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. Uh, it kind of works out as an acronym. I mean, it's kind of clever and to do all those letters and have them all fit. Uh, okay, good for them, but the unit apparently has not been tremendously successful. Uh, this has disgraced the unit, despite the fact that they have made in the last two years some progress in terms of dealing with crime. And um, uh, But however, the whole unit has been disbanded completely because it is so badly discredited. The, uh, the Scorpion unit involved police officers in many cases who were driving unmarked cars, 
in very troubled neighborhoods. And uh, they, their job was to try to protect as many civilians as they could in the neighborhood, not to pull a civilian out of his car, even though now, as of today, there appears to be a consensus, at least on the part of the police officers who were recalling the original stop for reckless driving, that the reckless driving in which uh, Tyree uh, Nichols was actually involved uh, involved driving on the wrong side of the street. And I'm, it can be problematic. I mean, uh, it can be very problematic. There's another oncoming car. Uh, in any event, uh, the the one thing that is tremendously a relief is that uh, the protests all over the country, and yes, we had protests here in Seattle. They've had protests everywhere. Uh, they appear to have been constructive, peaceful, reasonable, and partially because the indictment of the five police officers and the actions of the entire establishment in law enforcement in Memphis uh, and around the country has been, first of all, no attempt to try to justify the uh, cruel and actually savage beating that was administered to uh, to Tyree Nichols after after he had been stopped the first time, dragged out of his car, they were trying to handcuff him and he broke away and then just ran. And it's haunting to watch him in the first video just running up the street because you know what's going to happen. I mean, this is spoiler alert. Uh, you're not going to get away. And again, if he had thought about it and... The, the the one thing about running when you are in the process of being arrested uh, for reckless driving, apparently, by police officers, the, the one thing was they had his car. They had pulled him out of his car. Now, presumably, the car is matched to a registration. They can find out who he is immediately. Other people have asked the question, well, given the nature of this Scorpion operation, is it possible that they knew Nichols, that they knew who he was, it seems unlikely because he didn't have at least nothing that has been released yet or involved yet. He didn't have a criminal record at all. Uh, the uh, one thing that people uh, need to understand is I've actually had someone express to me uh, last night the sense of relief that even after the video was released and anyone who wanted to see it could see it, and it lasts about an hour, and there are actually four different videos. It was all edited, by the way, by the Memphis Police Department. But I, I can't imagine it is so... I can't imagine that they, they edited out any brutal parts because the brutal parts were very much there. But uh, that people were very worried about violence. Uh, the mother of uh, Tyree Nichols was very constructive in begging uh, the country not to have a violent reaction to her son's death. That's not the way to honor his memory, etc. All of that seemed to work. Uh, there did not appear to be anything destructive or nightmarish. But then again, I just remind people of the Rodney King situation because the riots then that were devastating 
and went on and on and on and, 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 and involved death and the destruction of businesses and literally billions of dollars. Some people say tens of billions of dollars worth of damage. That only occurred after the trial. The first trial for the Rodney King officers, they were acquitted. And they were acquitted on the basis that Rodney King uh, fought back and he was a big guy. And he had been speeding at speeds up to 100 miles an hour. So, and, and it turns out he had something of a criminal record. That doesn't make his beating justified in any way. But it's different. And the angry, violent, volatile reaction only came after the first trial. He was later put on trial again for federal civil rights violations, this time in federal court, and the officers were convicted and served time. Uh, we'll have more about this idea that uh, this is still a product of racism and that racism is so deep, allegedly, in the United States, so profound, so all-powerful, that it infects black people as well as white people. And black racism, at least according to that theory, is not any hatred of white people or any other group of white people. It's self-hatred, which is instilled by centuries of oppression. We will get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. On the Michael Medved show, there's anger uh, just expressed uh, this morning by some of the legal representatives, including Ben Crump, who have worked with the Nichols family, uh, the Tyree Nichols family, uh, about the fact that the sixth cop who has been suspended, the uh, sixth cop is not necessarily going to be prosecuted. He is not necessarily going to be fired. They uh, they make very clear in a piece in the Washington Post that uh, just was posted that he's been relieved of duty during the investigation of Tyree Nichols' death after a beating by police. Hempel, and they say a white man, and by the way, apparently, I, now I know, I didn't know before, it is the Washington Post style when you say a white man and race to capitalize white just like you capitalize black. Hempel, a white man, was relieved of duty at the same time as the other five officers charged in the incident, said Kim Elder, a spokesman for the Memphis police. Hempel has not been charged, however. Hempel's attorney, Lee Gerald, confirmed in a statement that his client was a third officer at the initial stop, and the first video was from his body camera. As per departmental regulations, Officer Hempel activated his body cam, his lawyer said. He was never present at the second scene. That's the one where there were five punches directly into the face and hitting with a baton and, uh, and, and kicking and, and uh, a real, real brutality that, that killed him. Uh, as per departmental regulations... Uh, Officer Hempel activated his body cam. He was never present at the second scene. He is cooperating with officials in this investigation. 
Hemphill's body camera captures part of the initial confrontation with Nichols. In the video, Hempel can be seen using a taser on him. Later, a voice on the body cam that seems to be Hempel says, I hope they stomp his beep. And that is after Nichols pushed free of the police who were trying to handcuff him and ran away, ran down the street. The, um, there is no video footage of the traffic stop because the officer who stomped Nichols was driving an unmarked car that was not equipped with dashboard cameras, said uh, Memphis Police Chief Sarah Davis. She is the first black female police chief in Memphis history. Uh, the police investigation has not been able to confirm Nichols' alleged traffic violation. The officers claim he was driving on the wrong side of the road. Um, okay. What about racism and its involvement with this horrific crime, uh, which uh, could well be a judged murder? I think they have the evidence. Uh, we there's there's material in the context of what happened. Actually, we don't know yet. But look, let's at least say that there was very high bail put for all of these officers who were charged with murder and kidnapping and oppression. And uh, this is a Van Jones thinking about the black officers who have been charged and are f facing murder trials in this Tyree Nichols case. Listen. Well, uh, uh, black people are at risk from police no matter what color. Uh, black, white, brown. You talk to African Americans, I'll tell you, um, it, it doesn't matter. There's this per pervasive view from law enforcement that if you're black, you're dangerous. And I think some people think, oh, well, so a white police officer going after a black person, you understand the racial implications. The problem is uh, there are whole neighborhoods that in many cities are just considered by police departments kind of war zones and anything goes there. And so um, I think we have to have a more nuanced view of what's going on to root out a racism. It's not just about having black cops or white cops or brown cops. It's about having cops that are trained to respect everyone and who are disciplined and punished when they don't. And when you don't have that in place, uh, black people are at risk no matter the color of the police officer. Okay, uh, I, look, I think what he's saying is undeniably true, except when he talks about certain neighborhoods that are a war zone, it's not the police who make them a war zone. The police are sent there to try to alleviate that situation to try to protect the ordinary people and the law-abiding people who live in every neighborhood and they're present in every neighborhood and sometimes they their lives are embittered, ended, uh, and painfully disrupted by the fact that there is no law and order. And I think it's interesting when he talks about uh, war zones and the name of the organization that uh, these cops were members of. The unit was called the Scorpion Unit, which is Street Crimes Operation in to, pardon me, to restore uh, peace in our neighborhoods. And again, uh, in a, a city like Memphis, which is overwhelming majority black, a majority of the police officers are black, the idea that a city like that with one of the worst murder rates in the country that um, 
basically it's the problem that their core problem is police oppression. Obviously, that is what has happened here. But uh, there's a piece in the New York Times that actually talks about Memphis wasn't perfect, but it backed its police. And generally, they were talking about all of these civil rights leaders and uh, other uh, spokespeople for the black community in Memphis who were very supportive of the police department, very supportive even of this Scorpion unit. The, uh, the, they write in the New York Times that um, Memphis, a predominantly black city, has a long tradition of black police chiefs. And in a city with one of the highest homicide rates in the nation, the police have a deep reservoir of respect. Police footage of the fatal beating described by the director of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation as absolutely appalling was released Friday evening the city was bracing for protests. Uh, they bring up that Mr. Nichols ran from the police after being pulled over for a traffic stop. While it is not uncommon following a chase for officers to punch or kick someone after catching them, the violence that ensued once officers caught Mr. Nichols was so shocking that Memphians said one needed to go back to 1971 to find a precedent. The five officers who were uh, indicted on second-degree murder charges yes, uh, on Thursday had been assigned to a new unit with an acronym that emphasized uh, subdual. SCORPION, it stands for Street Up Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. Commissioned in late 2021, the roughly 40-person unit was modeled after the aggressive anti-crime agendas that um, in many big cities patrol neighborhoods deemed to be high in crime in unmarked cars. Is there any chance that um, Tyree Nichols didn't realize these were cops? Well, they were wearing big sweatshirts that said police. Uh, we will be right back with more on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. Your outlet for outrage. Outrageous. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, in other news, President Trump hit the road for the first time since announcing his candidacy. He spoke uh, to small crowds, intentionally small. It wasn't that he couldn't draw a crowd. I'm sure he could get thousands of people for a rally if he wanted. But he spoke in both uh, New Hampshire and South Carolina, both uh, crucial early primary states. Uh, we will uh, get to that and the the latest the idea that Trump may actually not be helped by the fact that he's been invited to return to uh, to Facebook and to Instagram uh, mayor Eric Adams of New York uh, I mentioned he has a deep background and a, a really heroic background as a very effective leading cop in the nation's leading police force, leading because it's the biggest police force and the most formidable, and they actually have done a, a good job 
over the last 30 years at uh, ending the idea of, of New York being the crime capital of the country. It isn't anymore. And uh, Mayor Eric Adams, former police lieutenant, agrees with Van Jones, who, of course, was a part of the Obama administration. He was an advisor on environmental issues. He's also has a distinguished legal background. He's a commentator now for CNN. Um, Mayor Adams agrees with Van Jones that the fact that the officers who actually did the, the beating against uh, Tyree Nichols, that those officers may have been motivated and driven by racism, despite the fact that they're black. Uh, listen. Let me ask you, the Chief C.J. Davis, when in my interview with her, she said that all the officers being black, it takes race off the table. Do you agree with that? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, I think that I understand what uh, the chief was saying, and I think she uh, really handled this situation in a very professional way. She moved swiftly. She ensured that those officers were removed from the department. She took all the necessary steps. Uh, but I think uh, race is still on the table. Uh, when a culture of policing historically has treated uh, those from different groups differently, uh, even when the individuals are from that same group, that culture can still exist. And we have to zero in on it, being honest about it, and making sure that we properly train police for the realities of the cities that they are policing in. Okay. Uh, can everybody agree with that? Of course. Uh, police should be trained uh, about how to uh, to deal with, with any suspect without murderous intent. And uh, the idea that um, that somehow this is inconceivable if uh, the the suspect, and yes, he was a suspect, he had been, according to the police accounts, driving recklessly, but if the suspect had been white, is it really inconceivable that if he actually ran away successfully, broke away, and then they chased him down, and they finally caught up on the second time, and the second time, is it inconceivable they would beat a white guy uh, as as brutally? Uh, okay, let me stipulate, I think it is less likely. But to say that it is inconceivable or impossible, as Van Jones seems to do in his op-ed that he did for CNN, what he writes about is, he says, how do we explain Nichols' horrific killing allegedly at the hands of police who looked like him? From the King beating to the murder nearly three years ago of George Floyd, American society is often focused on the race of the officers, so often white as a factor in their deplorable acts of violence. But the narrative white cop kills unarmed black man should never have been the sole lens through which we attempted to understand police abuse and misconduct. It's time to move to a more nuanced discussion of the way police violence endangers black lives. One of the sad facts about anti-black racism is that black people ourselves, he writes, are not immune to its pernicious effects. Society's message that black people are inferior, unworthy, and dangerous is pervasive. Uh, over many decades, numerous experiments have shown that these ideas can infiltrate black minds as well as white. Self-hatred is a real thing. That's why a black store owner might regard customers of his same race with suspicion while treating his white patrons with deference. 
black people can harbor anti-black sentiments and can act on those feelings in harmful ways. For that black store owner that he conjures up here, is it necessarily a, a an expression of racism if he notices that uh, that that black people uh, are overrepresented among shoplifters that he has to deal with? And again, that doesn't mean that he should judge people by skin color. But would he be particularly more watchful, more wary? Uh, and and to talk about that kind of watchfulness or wariness in the same standard, the same context as the the beating and and the death and the uh, uh, murder that these officers are charged with is just a a a truly truly uh, a, a big leap that seems to me tremendously unfair. The um, cops of all colors, he writes, including black police officers, internalize those messages and sometimes act on them. In fact, in black neighborhoods, the phenomenon of brutal black cops singling out young black men for abuse is nothing new. Back in 1989, the rap group NWA, uh, that stands for N-Words with Attitude. No, it, it really does highlighted the problem in a classic hip-hop anthem in which Ice Cube rapped, but don't let it be a black and white cop because they'll slam you down to the street. Black police showing out for the white cop. When it comes to the police violence, race does matter, but possibly not the way you think. At the end of the day, it is the race of the victim who is brutalized, not the race of the violent cop, that is most relevant in determining whether racial bias is a factor in police violence. This brings me back to something which, which I have personal experience, and I'll share it with you, is that literally 50 years ago, um, I was part of a project under a federal grant I was actually the advertising creative director for an advertising project that was federally funded to try to get more black recruits for a, the police departments in San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, and Richmond, California. I was living there at the time. I had just gotten a tentative position with uh, a black-owned advertising agency that uh, I was working for, and the idea was, and, and people believed this so firmly in the 1970s, the idea was that uh, if you could hire more black cops, a lot of the problems with policing would be improved. It would mean that the cops would be more sympathetic to the black neighborhoods they were being asked to protect and to defend, and it would also mean that the um, people who lived in those neighborhoods who interacted with the police would be more trusting because they would see police officers who, at least it was suspected, did not have uh, deep-seated racist attitudes. Ha is it possible that an influx of black officers is one of the reasons that starting in the late 80s, crime began to go down in many big cities? Sure, I think that was a contributing factor.
But the idea that the race of the officers that you were hiring, that that race by itself made all the difference, is, it seems to me, an indefensible attitude. We write back, what did the black officers on the beat have to say? We'll talk about it. Your daily dose of debate. It's The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show uh, talking uh, about why it was that the dream that was really part of Dr. King's dream it had been inspired by him and he was somebody who also believed that the idea of uh, opening up hiring of police officers to more people of color to more black people uh, would actually help some of the big cities that uh, certainly in the late 1960s and early 1970s, which is a period that I'm talking about in my personal reminiscence, there, would, there was a tremendous explosion in crime. And uh, a lot of it was centered in the inner city. And uh, there was a belief that uh, black police uh, officers and police officials could make a real difference in bringing down the rates of crime and violence and distrust. And uh, Bill Barr, uh, the former Attorney General of the United States, he was twice Attorney General, not just for Trump, but for the first President Bush. He writes that studies have repeatedly shown that most predatory crime is committed by a small, hardcore group of habitual offenders. They are a tiny fraction of the population. Rest, uh, he estimates 1%. But they are responsible for between half and two-thirds of predatory violent crime. Each of these offenders can be expected to commit scores, even hundreds of crimes a year, frequently while on bail, probation, or parole. The only time they aren't committing crimes is when they're in prison. For this group, the likelihood of reoffending usually doesn't recede until they reach their late 30s. The only way to reduce violent crime appreciably is to keep this cohort off the streets. We know with certainty that for each of these criminals held in prison, there are hundreds of people who aren't being victimized. This incapacitation, he writes, requires laws like those in the federal system that allow judges to detain repeat offenders before trial when they pose a danger to the community and that impose... Uh, tough sentences on repeat violent offenders. He continues saying that history shows that this strategy works. Before 1960, violent crime in the U.S. was modest and stable. In the early 60s, however, liberal reformers pushed to turn state justice systems into revolving doors, with violent offenders quickly released on parole or probation. Predictably, violent crime exploded going from 160 crimes per 100,000 population to, in 1960, to 758 per 100,000 in 1991. Isn't that a, a remarkable when you actually look at that? And it was in that atmosphere that the Congress of the United States 
uh, voted to create the uh, LEAA, the uh, Law Enforcement uh, Assistance Administration, to help provide federal money to cities that were facing real crime problems. And part of what they wanted to do with that federal money is make sure that they had a more representative police department, that it wasn't all black people trying to patrol, uh, all white people trying to patrol black neighborhoods. I was a kid at the time. I just graduated from college. Uh, I had uh, then started law school. I took a leave of absence. It was not officially dropping out, but it was a leave of absence to work in political campaigns. And then after that, I, I got this job uh, with uh, basically working with a group of other people to create ads for television, uh, for billboards, for radio uh, that would solicit and bring in more black people to serve as police officers in San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, and Richmond, California. Part of my job, as I saw it, was to actually get to know some of the black cops who had served for years, who were proud of being police officers. And I did ride-alongs on several occasions. I had shared meals with these folks and got to know them. I got to know a particular cop very, very well, who was just one of the most remarkable and wonderful people I'd ever met. And he didn't change my view of black people. I was already, I, I had done summer programs teaching at uh, inner city kids in high school programs that were, that, that were free for gifted inner city. Okay. I'd done that. My, my opinion of black people didn't change, but my opinion of cops really did. This is one of those experiences for me that, pushed me over to the conservative side of things. And I remember that Harold, and that was the real name of uh, the guy that I'm talking about, used to say that, you know, everybody in the country acts like there's, there's just two races. You're either black or you're white. He said, but, you know, when you do this job for a while, there's a third race, which is blue, which is uh, you're together with people to whom... You were very, very much attached. Who are your brothers? And your brothers sometimes facing very dangerous situations, and they all do. And he, he said another thing, and I remember this, and it, it just struck me as so uh, crucial in terms of providing insight. He said, look, uh, when, uh, when you ride around in the middle of the night and you're driving around Oakland, and it's pretty clear to you that uh, the, the world is divided up into two tribes of people. There's citizens and there's, and he used an impolite word for people's rear ends. It starts with A. And, um, and it has an, it's an A-H word. And he said, look, and we have to, our job is to keep the citizens who are trying to take care of their kids and feed a family and, and make a house and to be decent, to keep them safe from the A-words in this world. And the A-words come in all different racial categories. But uh, is there 
a certain hostility that builds up if you are working at a job where you see very regularly the absolute worst of human depravity I mean imagine you're you're coming into a a situation where there's a domestic dispute and there's it's a domestic disputes occasionally I know I know it's like 10% of domestic disputes there there's a, a woman who's abusive but mostly it's a husband who's abusive and again if you're a police officer you're you're putting your life on the line and constantly and again and again and I I do think it's one of the reasons that um, the country has been very slow but it's changed profoundly since George Floyd is and this is something that that I am shocked that the five officers who have now been indicted for second-degree murder that they didn't realize is that after the George Floyd summer of, of uh, 2020 it's so very obvious that if you do something like these officers unquestionably did, it's on tape, there are going to be consequences. It's going to ruin your life. It could end up with your spending a great deal of your life in prison. And the idea that that, that basic realization didn't stop or restrain these police officers, I don't know how much more clear you can make it then they have made it in Memphis and that the country has made it in this reaction but there's another reaction too which is to help cut down the the number of horrible incidents like this there has to be a a a much more public effort to make it clear to people that if you have an encounter with an officer particularly a, a, a traffic encounter or something minor or trivial that basically if you run away if you push back if you try to grab somebody's taser that is being used against you it's not going to end well it's going to end tragically and that is not to blame the victim here the everything that we have learned about uh, Tyree Nichols he appears to have been a, a lovely guy peaceful there's no criminal record that uh, anyone has exposed at all uh, and a father of a four-year-old uh, okay but the recognition being that this kind of encounter that happens every day every part of the country that there needs to be some mutual recognition of things that are blindingly obvious based on recent history that, it seems to me, is crucially important in this greatest nation on God's green earth.